Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Many people are spiritually frustrated, and they don't even know it. They don't know contentment. They don't know that inner peace. They are not experiencing joy in their life. And they are simply defeated, and here's the key, by themselves. Because they won't do what's necessary to see a victorious change happen to them. And what must they do? They must agree with God. They must see themselves as God sees them. And then turn to Him for assistance. We serve a wonderful God. Are you serving Him? Are you His child? Have you received Him by faith? And there's only one way to do that, and that's through that gospel message. Focusing in on the person and work of Messiah Yeshua, Jesus Christ. Acknowledging one's sinfulness and turning to Him for forgiveness. Our God is a forgiving God. One of the ways that Judaism speaks of God is by the phrase, El Malay Rachamim, which means the God who is full of mercy. And there's that inherent relationship between mercy and forgiveness. Take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Malachi and chapter 1. The book of Malachi and chapter 1. Now, we began this chapter last week. We completed the first eight verses. And what did we see? We see that God was not pleased with his people, with the children of Israel. They were not interested in honoring him. They did not have reverence for him. This word, the fear of the Lord, they did not fear him, which means they did not want to acknowledge his authority over them. They were disagreeable. They rejected God's standards, his rules, his ways, his commandments. And in essence, they were simply going it by themselves. And when we are separated from God, we're not going to experience anything that is good. So be wise enough, be humble enough, make a change in your life. In reality, all you do is invite God into your life through that gospel, and he begins to make that change. How do I know that? Because you can have a promise from God. Every believer does. And that's this. The good work that he has begun in you, he will complete. But he will only begin that work when you receive Messiah as your Lord of your life. When you invite him to save you from all of your sin, all your, of your iniquity, and all of your transgression. Well, look with me to that first chapter of Malachi and verse 9. 
as I said, we completed the first eight verses last week. We saw that there was a disobedience within the children of Israel, but God is inviting change into their life in the same way that God is inviting change today into your life. How are you going to respond? Well, look with me to verse 9 where he says, and now. This word now in Hebrew, ata, means now with a sense of urgency. You, whether you realize it or not, you are in a very dire situation. You need to make with urgency a right decision. And if you don't now, chances are you won't in a week or a month or a year and then you'll enter into eternity. See, the Bible speaks that when one dies, he goes into eternity, either eternal shame and contempt with with torment or eternal life, where there will be the blessings and the promises of God. There is going to be a great dichotomy between believers and non-believers. And this may be a special opportunity for you from God in order to make that change and to turn your meaningless life. You said, I don't have a meaningless life. I have this and I have that. All of that is not going to do one thing for your kingdom experience. You're not going to be in the kingdom if you haven't received him. And if you are a believer but not living obediently, you are going to be regretful of what you've done with your salvation. Let's make a God-honoring change. And how does it begin? With a sense of urgency, once more, verse 9, where it says, And now entreat, please, the presence of God. Now, that word entreat, which is just a word of invitation, When you entreat someone, you are inviting them. You are beseeching them, supplicating them to respond to you. And that's what's good. God wants to respond. He wants to enter into your life. He wants to make a change, a change that you could never do yourself. You don't have the ability. You are in bondage in sin. You are in spiritual darkness, but God who is the light of the world. He can come in and do marvelous things. He's willing, able, desiring. All you have to do is entreat, that is, invite him. And notice what it says. Entreat, please, literally the face, but it's an idiom, the presence of God. If you do that, what is he going to do? You need to know that. And the scripture is very clear. He says, when we entreat the presence of God to enter into our life, what is he going to be? The scripture says, and he will be gracious unto us. You should rejoice that the God of Israel is a gracious God. Through grace, one finds salvation. What's salvation? It is a spiritual victory. It's where your sin, my sin, The sins of the world for everyone who receives him, their sins are forgiven. The scripture says through that new covenant that your sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. 
there is absolute separation between you and your sin and the consequences from a kingdom perspective regarding your sin so you are set free you are forgiven but the grace of god it's so powerful not only does by grace one is saved but the scripture says for example in titus chapter 2 and verse 12 it says that this grace also teaches us teaches us to deny ungodliness and to live soberly and righteously where in this present world now are you living righteously are you living in the right frame of mind it's only when you receive the grace of god that this can become a reality if you're not living under the grace of god you are living a meaningless life one of futility and you will have that emptiness within whether you admit it or not you will have frustration in your life and you're not going to have a zeal for life many times what people do is they try to make fun what the world calls partying partying a a a bandage for how they're feeling inside doesn't satisfy very long it doesn't please it doesn't make a change that is a good change in one's life when one is committed to just having a party that's not what life is about life is seen in other things in the goodness of god in the the will of god and walking under the anointing of god so he says here that he will be gracious to us then he asks a question literally from your hand meaning from your your being is what he's saying here your authority uh this was have you from your own initiative from your own will ever decided to entreat to invite god into your life have you ever done that is what he's saying and if you have he will from you lift up your countenance meaning this he is going to give you a sense of true joy when it says here that he's going to lift up your face what it means is this he is going to encourage you he is going to move in your life that lifts you up you are going to live at a new level and you're going to see things differently you are going to see things more and more as God sees them now it's a process that's what sanctification is about but this is what this scripture is alluding to and more than that keep reading who's able to do this bring this change notice how it ends amar that is and said the lord of hosts host is a word that relates to an army as i said last week it's in the plural and it speaks about a mighty army that's able to accomplish so the lord of hosts is an idiom that speaks about the god who is absolutely able who is mighty strong powerful he can bring it about you can rely upon him you can trust him for this and then he says verse 10 who also among you that he will close the doors now what he's saying here is that there's a change 
there is that wonderful invitation. And now God is going back to examining the people. And he's saying basically, I, I wish that there was someone who would just close the doors of the temple because he is utterly dissatisfied with the worship that's going on there. It is full of hypocrisy. It is full of deceit. We talked about how people are offering up a blind sacrifice, a, a sacrifice of an animal that's sick or paralyzed. And he's saying here that he's not pleased with the worship. And therefore, he says, who among you will just close the doors, meaning the doors of the temple, and also not light or kindle my altar for nothing? He's saying, what's going on here serves me not. And, and I wish that there was someone who would not kindle these lights of sacrifices, these burnt offerings anymore because it's for naught. There's no purpose in them. And what it speaks to is someone living a life without purpose. It's only God that gives us true purpose and meaning of our existence. So if you are rejecting him, you're not serving him, I assure you, your life is empty. It's not going to have that, that, that meaningful quality to it. It can't. Because that which is reserved for God, you are rejecting. You are ignoring. It's time for a change. Move on to, to verse, verse 10 where it says, There is not to me, God is speaking, anything delightful, any desirable thing among you. When we're going it our own way, there's nothing that God desires from, from us, says the Lord of hosts. And the offering or sacrifice, I will not, will not accept from your hands. So God is saying, in this current condition, you can't worship me. You can't serve me. You can't make an offering to me. It's simply speaking to the fact that there is such a separation between Israel and the God of Israel. And God is available, we saw that in the previous verse, in order to make a change. But Israel has to be willing. Israel has to respond to this prophetic revelation and to do so sincerely and repentantly. And that's what we need to do sincerely repent that is to turn with all of our heart to God and his will acknowledging his authority verse verse 11 for from the rising of the sun until its setting great is my name among the nations now what it's saying here is this is God's desire he wants to use Israel to bring it about. He wants the nations to recognize how great he is. And here again, what's the context? This great God is able to do great things for you, to give your life purpose and meaning, to forgive you from all of your sins, iniquity, transgression, 
to, to cause the very presence of a holy God to be with you, to dwell with you and in you for eternity. This is our God. This is what he's promising to do. So look again at verse 11. For the rising, from the rising of the sun until it's going forth. Great is my name among the nations. In every place that, that incense is, is offered to my name and a pure gift or offering, for great is my name among the nations, said the Lord of hosts. Now, many scholars believe that, that this is a verse that speaks of God's desire. He wants every place that there's an incense offered up that it be done so because of his greatness. And what's the connection between incense and what we're talking about? Incense, if you study the book of Revelation, incense is related to the prayers of the people. Now, let me ask you a question. When you pray, do you want a little God, a God that's not able to do very much because he's an insignificant God to, to hear your prayers and do his very best to, to respond to you? Obviously, no. When you pray to God, you want to pray to a great God. And what it's saying here is that we offer incense to that great God. And God just doesn't want to be known among Israel. But what does he say twice here? That he wants his name to be great among the nations. Meaning this, the God of Israel is, is wanting to expand into the land of the Gentiles in order that all humanity, why? God's a creator of all humanity. There is no one in this world that God has not created. And God wants to redeem them so that they can receive the goodness of God. This is what he's promising here. Verse 12. But you, now he's speaking to Israel, but you, and the issue here is this. God wants his name to be great and named among the nations. But this isn't happening. Why? He tells us in verse 12. But you are profaning it when you say that the table of the Lord, it is defiled and its fruit. Meaning when we look at things from, from God's standpoint, we see it as defiled. What's he speaking about here? Our inability to understand the greatness of God. We look at things and we think that they are defiled, that they have no significance. And that's why it's so important that we agree with God. When you don't agree with God, you are in spiritual blindness. But when you agree with God, that agreement is going to remove that spiritual blindness blindness, and give you a perspective, an enlightened perspective. So you're either going to be blind or you're going to step into the light of illumination and see things correctly. This is what God is promising here. So look again. The people... They are profaning his name because they believe that the table, speaking about the altar, the sacrificial service, it's defiled. It means it doesn't really work to bring about, uh, bring about any real result, any outcome. And its food 
is also, he says, contemptible. That's how the people see. They don't have respect for, and here's the key, worship. They look at these things, and just like Esau, what we saw in the first part of chapter 1, he had contempt for them. And, and now they as well are having contempt for what God has provided them. Look now to, to verse 13. But you say, behold, and this is a word for being worn out. But you say that, that worn out and that you have, and this is a word for, well, it's a word for puffing like this. Someone says, this is a wonderful thing, and you disagree, and you go, I don't accept that. This is the image that the Word of God is giving us here in this verse. Look again at verse 13. It says, but you say, behold, where is some? I, I'm just tired of all these things. All these spiritual things that God commands me to do, they just wear me out. And this expression of puffing, means that you don't see any value in them. He says, said the Lord of hosts. And how do we know that they feel this way? Well, he says, you bring, and this is an offering that is stolen or one that is crippled or paralyzed and one that is sick. And you bring the, the offering and you think that, that I will be pleased with it from your hand? And of course, the answer is no. God's not going to be pleased with that. And therefore, if our worship is not received by God, there is not going to be any activity in our life from God. Understand that there's an important connection between worship and God's activity in our life. You don't worship God properly. You don't esteem the things of God. You think doing all of these things are just, just you know, tiresome, wears you out, and that you, you don't put any significance upon them. When you're that way, God is going to be still in your life. He's not going to receive anything that has to do from your hand, from you. Look now to verse 14. Now, this chapter, one verse, we're going to be done. And this verse is not a verse of encouragement. Now, I'd like to just give a warning that we need to be faithful. If you share God's word, you need to be faithful to God's word. And God's word is not always encouraging. It's not always something that's uplifting. It's not always something that, that we want to hear. And he's speaking to people who do not value worship. Let me ask you, do you value worship? Are you committed to worship God each day and maybe to do so formally at least one day a week where you come together and testify? I was at a conference this past weekend, heard some very good teaching. And, and one person just made an observation, and that's this. He said he had been flying quite a bit, and there's one thing that he can say about all of his flights. They're full. And he says he goes to, to restaurants and he's waiting a long time to find a table. Not because of limited seating, the restaurant is packed. He says people are going everywhere but to one place. 
and that is to the house of the Lord. Well, I'm not sure it's safe there. I don't know where these people have been. I don't know what type of precautions that, that my congregation takes, and I'll just stay home and, and watch the service on, on Zoom or live stream. Well, let me tell you, you need to be with the body of believers. Because as we experience at that conference, sometimes God gives a moment. God moves in a mighty way. God speaks to the congregation. And it's undeniable. But if you're not there, you're going to miss out. And what we see is that oftentimes in the midst of worship, God does that work in a person's life to bring about that change. And if we're not experiencing that, if we're not worshiping properly, what does he say? Not me. This is what God says. He uses the word arul, which is a synonym for cursed. He says, and curse, and this one here is one who is a conniver. It's a, a word that's used in modern Hebrew for a con artist, someone who wants to take advantage of others. So he says, cursed is, is such one. And why? That there is in his herd a male. God usually wants a male offering. And that is a male sheep, a male goat. And he vows to do it. He's got a male. He wants to do that, offer it up. But what does he do? It says he says, and he sacrifices one that is corruptible. One that is, is, is not proper to the Lord. And he does not realize, and here's the key, for a great king am I. Do you approach God in that way? Let me ask you this. If truly a great king would invite you and said, I want you to come to my palace once a week, that, that you do what I would have you to do. If someone refused the king, what would you expect to happen to him? A punishment. That is insulting. It is rejecting his authority. It is questioning his identity as king. And God says here, there are people who have it within their means to worship me with what I want to be worshipped with, but they don't do it. They're a con artist. They're a cheater. They're a deceiver. They will not submit to the fact that I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. And my name, my name, and this is the word Nora, which means awesome. My name is awesome among the nations. What God is saying here with this emphasis on the nations is that he's telling Israel, reminding them of their call, that their call is to be a light to the nations, that God is glorified among them. And because of Israel's disobedience, because they are choosing unwisely, they are disagreeing with the call that God has given to them, what's happening? We see very clearly that ministry and change is not happening among the nations. What are you going to do with your life? Continue on in your direction, a direction of futility, or are you going to understand the urgency that you are in right now and make a wise decision to submit to God and recognize that He is the great King, the only great King and that you need to recognize his authority over you. Well, I'll close with that. Shalom.
Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Shalom from Israel.